If you were to look closely at my thumb, you wouldn't see even a hint of green to it, except maybe the time I hit it with a hammer. If I want something to grow in my garden, I typically go to the nearest gardening supply store, pick up a handy-dandy bottle of stuff to sprinkle on my plants, and voila, they grow. It's a miracle. Well, why can't I do that with my spiritual life? It feels like I'm constantly growing the weeds of sin instead of the fruit of righteousness. Wouldn't it be great if we could just go to church on Sunday, have the pastor sprinkle some spiritual miracle grow onto our hearts, and voila, we mature and produce godliness. Well, welcome to the Point of Purity podcast. I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, and purity coach for the Pure Men Ministry. Welcome to episode number 44. In this episode, we dive into part seven of our mini-series on how to live for Christ, entitled, Formed to Function. Well, I have a very simple, very basic, yet extremely critical question for you here. Here it is. Are you a Christian? Are you a born-again believer? If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? If you were to stand before God right now and he were to say to you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What answer would you give that he would accept? Are you a Christian? Now, if your answer to that question is something like, well, yeah, I've put my faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Then according to God's promise in God's word, you are saved. You will be in heaven for eternity, not because of anything good that you have done, but because of all that God has already done on your behalf. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Did you catch that? There's only one thing required for salvation, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not believing that he existed, but believing that he was the Son of God who came and took upon himself the form of a man and being found in fashion as, as, as of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. That Jesus died in your place. In John three thirty six, Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, we read, By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now I want you to focus your attention upon the words, not a result of works. From Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the text said, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. You see, Paul is telling us here that it is not by our own personal effort at godliness that we're saved. No matter, now listen, watch this, no matter how many good and great and grand Christian deeds you do in your lifetime, my friends, you can never, ever merit heaven on your own. God expects absolute perfection. That's something we cannot achieve. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now I want you to listen closely as I repeat the last part of that verse, Matthew 7, 21. 
You see, Jesus said that the only one who will be allowed to enter into the kingdom of heaven is he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. No, no, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait just a minute. Every one of the verses I read to you prior to Matthew 7, 21 makes it abundantly clear that we are not saved by doing good works. The scripture is clear. God is not impressed with our good deeds. In fact, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Man may look on the outward deeds that you do, but God looks on the heart, the motivation behind what you're doing. Okay, but in Matthew 7, 21, the verse I just read to you, Jesus says right here that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to do the will of God. So I ask, Isn't that doing good works? Isn't that doing something good to be worthy of heaven? I mean, after all, Jesus himself said here in Matthew 7, 21, that I have to do something. I have to do the will of God in order to enter the kingdom. Now, stay with me here. Hold on. On the surface, it appears that way. But anytime, every time you study God's word, you must always compare scripture with other scripture. Don't take a verse or a text out of its context. When you do, you run the high risk of misunderstanding and thereby misinterpreting what God is saying. Now, a moment ago, I read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that we're saved by God's amazing grace, by His grace, not by our faulty works and futile efforts. Paul tells us in Romans 3, verse 24, that we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ. He also said that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and his own grace. 2 Timothy 1.9 Okay, so I have two questions for you to consider here. First, when you make salvation all about works, or even just partially about works, who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Who is it really all about? The answer, you. You are. It's all about King me. That's why Ephesians 2.9 clearly states that salvation, your guaranteed entrance into heaven someday, is not a result of works, so that you cannot boast. In 1 Timothy 1.9, the Apostle Paul declares that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now, here's my second question for you to consider. What if Jesus did 98% of the work of salvation for you, but you have to do the remaining 2%? The answer? It'd still be about King me. It would still depend upon your works, upon your ability to complete that remaining 2%. Romans 9.16 says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God makes it abundantly clear in Romans 3, verse 20, that by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. You see, all of us, all of us, have become like one who's unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings, like the wind, take us away. That was Isaiah 64, verse 6. So why can't I gain access into heaven based on how good I am? 
Well, let me remind you of the main text of Scripture that's driving this question. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, in the very next verse, Matthew 7, verse 22, Jesus said, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, on the surface, it sure sounds like the people Jesus is describing here were doing things that fit into the category of God's will, right? I mean, after all, they were prophesying in his name. They were driving out the enemy in his name. They performed miracles in his name. I I mean, doesn't God want us to do mighty things in his name? Well, yes, he does. But keep the text in its context. See, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 7, 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, watch, watch this now. Watch this. Their eternal destiny did not rely on their ability to do good deeds, even if they chose to do them in the name of the Lord. Their hope, your hope, my hope for eternity rests solely on something else. It rests solely on someone else. You see, the Lord knows those who are his, 2 Timothy 2.19. Jesus said that God calls his own sheep by name. John 10, verse 3. Listen once again at Matthew 7, verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Are you catching this? You see, Jesus didn't know them. Oh, they were doing good deeds in his name, but he didn't know them. In fact, he called them evildoers, literally translated breakers of his law. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that's who will be allowed to enter. Now, let me draw your attention to the phrase, does the will of my Father, in Matthew 7, 21. Jesus is clearly stating here that the only way to get into heaven, the only way for God to let you in is by doing something, a very specific something that God expects you to do. He has a definite will here, and you must do that particular thing, that specific will, in order to get into heaven. That's the only way he will let you spend an eternity with him. Now listen closely as I read to you John chapter 3, Verses 14 through 18. Now listen. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him 
has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. John 3, verses 14 through 18. Just a few verses later in John 3, verse 36, Jesus said, Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21? Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. In John 6, verse 40, Jesus said, For my Father's will, are you catching this? My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Here's the point I don't want you to miss. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says you have to do the will of the Father in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. What have we just seen? Let me repeat John 6, 40. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. My friend, have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation? Not your works, not your good deeds, not uh, anything else but Christ. The Apostle Paul asks a, a very interesting question to the Christians in Galatia. Listen to what he says. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? Galatians 3, 1 through 3. Now, that question I just read to you is worthy of consideration. We know from Scripture that it is by God's grace we are saved, not by works. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 clearly states, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In Galatians 2, 16, we see that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. As a born-again believer, we understand that our faith in Christ is the central key. But when King Me is sitting on the throne of my heart, let's face it, I begin to make that salvation all about me instead of about God. Now, why is that such a bad thing? In Ephesians 2.10, we see that we are God's workmanship. And as that workmanship, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God created you, He designed you, He formed you with a specific purpose in mind. He designed you with great care and effort. Why? Because He has a perfect plan for your life. You are his workmanship. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, wait. I want to make sure you catch this. God has a plan for me? Really? What is that plan? What is God's purpose for my life? I mean, think about this. Are you saved? Are you a born-again believer just so that you can sit, soak, and sour? <laughs> no way. In short, he saved you for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. Though you are not saved 
by good works. Because you are saved by His grace, He wants you to do good works. God expects you to grow in your spiritual life. He expects you to do good things for His glory. I'm sure you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And what does all mean? (laughs) All means all. And that's all all means. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, we read these words. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It's not about you. Never was, never will be. It's about him. Jesus commands us to let our light shine before men, that they may see our good deeds. And by seeing the good deeds, by seeing the things that you are doing day in and day out, by watching your behavior, your attitude, your demeanor, your your choices, your actions, the verse goes on to say that by seeing your good deeds, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. God's word, my friend, instructs us how to live in order to please God. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Did you catch that? We are to live in order to please God. In other words, as the title of this episode says, you've been formed to function. You've been designed to declare. You've been made to magnify. You've been prepared to perform in a way that brings others to Christ, not draws attention to you. We want to draw attention to Christ. God wants you to do good works. In short, You're to always live every moment of every day in a way that pleases God. Now, at this moment in in the podcast, I've got to stop for a moment and give you a very serious word of warning here. So sit up and take notice. Are you ready? Here it is. As you read God's word, you are going to learn God's truth. You tracking with me? However, The truths you will discover from the Bible will do you absolutely no good. Yes, you just heard me right. No, I'm not a heretic. No, I'm not spouting false truth. It is a fact. The truth in the Bible that you read is worthless to you. If, there's the key, if those truths are not put into practice. Living a godly life that consistently glorifies our Heavenly Father happens only when you do the truth, not just reading it, not just listening to it, not even talking it. Do it. Build your entire life around the truth and the principles and the standards and the the, the precepts of God's Word. Walk it out on a daily basis. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Paul charges young Timothy to correctly handle the word of truth. Here's what I want you to think about. Correct handling of God's word begins with reading it, sure. It certainly includes listening to it, yeah. But if that's all you do, then you have failed in the charge. You are not correctly handling the word of truth. In fact, to be honest with you, you're actually mishandling it. 
You see, only when you take that truth and apply it to your daily life, only when you take that truth after reading it, after listening to it, after meditating on it, and start living that truth out, only then are you correctly handling it. Here's what James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James 1, through 25. So here's my challenge to you. Never, never let God's word go in one ear and out the other. When you merely listen to scripture, you're hearing the words. You may even be considering what they're saying for a moment, but then you're promptly dismissing them as irrelevant to you and your situation, and you will not be blessed. Well, before I conclude today's episode, I'd like to take just a moment and give you a glimpse into the Pure Man Ministry. You see, we do a whole lot more here at the Pure Man Ministry than just produce a weekly podcast. We have a free app. It's entitled My Purity Coach. That app is chock full of powerful tools to help you in your walk of purity. You'll find tons of scripture. There's audio and video lessons from the Bible. You can even listen to this podcast from the app. Again, that app, it's a free app, is entitled My Purity Coach. Download it. You'll be glad you did. I've also designed an online training resource. It's a newer resource, so there's only a few videos out there right now, but it's called ChristianGrowthAcademy.com. That's ChristianGrowthAcademy, all one word, dot com. On that website, you will find a growing library of affordable video courses that are geared, every one of them, to help you learn how to grow in your walk with Christ. And if you're a subscriber to this podcast, then you've heard me talk about my Point of Purity program. It's a 12-week, one-on-one, Bible-centered coaching program that takes you deep into the scriptures to teach you how to develop a lifelong strategic plan for purity, integrity, and godliness. And I often talk on this podcast about the various books that I've written. And I encourage you, go to Amazon.com, look up my name, Steve Etner, and you'll see all the different books that I've written. As a faith-based, donor-supported ministry, all of this that I've mentioned to you, and so much more that we do that I have not mentioned, is only made possible by our team of ministry partners who are giving financially to this ministry. My friend, without compromise, the Purity Coach shows men and women across the globe how to have a continuous relationship with Jesus, a relationship that is real and personal. So to that end, and I I unashamedly make this statement, we need ongoing financial assistance. We need partners like you who are committed to providing hope and helping men and women across the globe win their personal battle against the beast of sexual impurity. But we can only do that with financial support. So if this Point of Purity podcast has been a blessing to you, 
if it's ministered to you, if it's encouraged you, if it's challenged your walk with Christ, if you can see and agree with the value that we bring to the table, and and you understand that there are people all across the globe that need to hear this message, would you please join our team of Point of Purity Partners as we impact our world by equipping and training men and women how to live in purity, how to live in godliness and be men and women of integrity. Your financial support of any amount to this ministry will go a long, long way toward helping men and women find the victory and freedom that only Christ can and will give them. So if you're interested in supporting our ministry to give your tax-deductible gift Simply go to thepuritycoach.com. Again, that's thepuritycoach.com. Click on the donate button in the upper right corner and give your gift. Thank you. Thank you so much for partnering with us. And finally, if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, let me encourage you to do so today. You don't want to miss any of the upcoming episodes. Well, until next time, this is author, speaker, and purity coach Steve Etner reminding you that if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, he must first be glorified in your every moment thinking.